right, so we are in our series this month. It's called Give. If you've been here, you're aware of what we're doing. Uh, this is the season of giving, November, December. It's all about giving gifts and giving love. And since you're around your family a lot, this time of year, you have to give a lot of forgiveness. And, uh, and this coming Thursday, the holiday we're celebrating this Thursday literally has give in the name. It's called Thanksgiving. This Thursday, we are going to sit around and reflect on everything we're thankful for. Amen? And it's a wonderful thing that we do that. But how about, what if we were audacious enough as believers to live lives of thankfulness, not just on thir- the fourth Thursday of November? Amen? It's what we're called to do. We're called to live lives of thankfulness. And it sounds elementary because that's something you would think that we would know. But you know what? On the, the spiritual application to living a life of thankfulness is something we have to be very intentional about in our life to do. So I want to talk to you about that today because I believe we can live that and I believe that it is a wonderful principle from the scripture that we can live in our own lives to be thankful. And my text verse today is out of 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we always do, just in honor of reading God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, very, very famous, popular verse. Many of you know it by heart. It says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Everyone say in. Okay, it doesn't say for, it says in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So basically, God's will for our life is that we would live a life of thankfulness. It's not a suggestion, this is part of of the the holy scriptures that God has given us. The title of my message today is An Attitude of Gratitude. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is what transforms us. Your word gives life to all who will receive it. Help us to receive your word today, Lord. Not my words, your word. Do your work in our heart, God, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would come, and your will would be done in our lives just like it is in heaven. All for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank the Lord. I have been having a head head cold this week that I've been dealing with, so if my voice sounds weird, that's why. But I feel good. It's just that stuff that gets in there that, you know, sometimes wants to hang out and live rent-free in your head for a little bit. So, Uh, But I got through the first service. I'm going to get through this one, too, because I'm excited. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you today that you have to be thankful because it's a, what a good Christian does, you know? We don't have to be thankful because God tells us to. We can be thankful because it's part of God's will for our life. See, the thing about God that is so wonderful for us to follow him is that we know that anywhere we see in the word of God where it says this is the will of God, you should always pay attention and camp out there for a minute because anything that is his will, it's not just him saying you should do this because I'm God and I said so. When it's his will, he says if we will surrender ourselves to that will, that he actually gives us power to live that out in our life. So it's not just a command from him, it's him saying, hey, I actually wanna give you the ability to live a life of thankfulness. This is my will for you, that you be thankful in all things. But you have to surrender your will to his will to be able to have that accomplished in your life. And we can absolutely do that. And so when he says this is the will of all of you who are in Christ Jesus, That makes me want to take notice and say, okay, good. Well, if this is God's will, I know he's going to help me to do his will because he knows that I'm nothing, that I'm a nobody, that I'm no good, that my heart is deceitfully wicked above all else, the Bible tells me, right? I know my thoughts. I know the areas I struggle with, so I know I'm not good enough to live his will out in my life on my own. But he says, you're in luck because you don't have to because I'm going to give you my spirit to help you live out my will. That's what he wants to do for us. And so we can live that way. We can live a life 
of thankfulness and, a, and a, live a lifestyle of gratitude in accordance to his will. And we cannot overlook this, church. It's easy for us to think, eh, thankfulness, that's not, that's not that big of a deal. I'm telling you, it is a powerful principle in the Christian life that we miss out on, and we don't get the power of God in our life because of the fact that we miss it. See, there's power in our life to help us to be thankful, to help us to live a life of gratitude if we will surrender to it. And you notice I said, I made you repeat that word in in my text because it's not that we have to be thankful for everything that happens and that every bad situation that we would not want, that we just have to be thankful for. We're not thankful for those. We're thankful to God in the midst of those. Because see, we don't, just because we're Christians, win every battle we face, okay? Now, I know there are some worship songs out there that we win every battle, and, and the, the, the idea behind it is fine, but we don't win every battle as Christians. Not every practical battle is won. Okay? I lost the battle against the head cold this week every day. I mean, it's a small thing, but I prayed and asked God to take it, and he didn't. So I didn't win the health battle this week in my head. You know, some, my mom passed away from cancer. She didn't win the battle against cancer in this life. So we don't win every single battle we fight. We're, we're, not, we're not Ohio State's football team where we win everything. Okay? I just lost half the crowd. Actually, Georgia's winning everything this year, so, yeah. <laughs> There's a few Ohio guys. Mr. Dave, go Buckeyes, all right. All right, um, now I'm off track. But we don't win every battle we, we fight in this life, but we can be thankful in the midst of every battle because God gives us the ability to do that by the power of his spirit in us. Gives us the ability to be grateful, to be able to worship to be able to honor and glorify and bless our God even in the midst of those battles where it seems like we're losing. Now listen, spiritually we, we can win those battles even when we lose them spiritually, or physically. I might have lost the battle against the head cold this week physically, but it didn't defeat my spirit. I purposed in my heart I was gonna continue to love and honor and worship and glorify my God and be grateful for all of his blessings in my life while I'm blowing my nose and doing all the things that are gross when you have a head cold, right? So we can still win the battles, the spiritual battles in our lives, even when the physical battles don't always look great. And you might think to yourself, well, you know what, I don't have that much to be thankful for. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus today and you're listening to me, then and you don't feel like you have many things to be thankful for, then you're looking at the wrong things. Because as a Christian, as a follower, a blood-bought follower of Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. Always, and it's all about what, what we're going to choose to focus on. And we're, it's not that we're denying that there are negative things happening. It's not denying that there's a pandemic going on right now. We're not denying that a lot of people are dealing with depression. We're not denying that the, a lot of people are dealing with economic stress in their life. We're not burying our heads in the sand, but we're not allowing those things to determine our thankfulness. See, if you're waiting for everything in your life to just be perfect and smooth and easy and nice before you can feel like you can live a life of thankfulness, you're deceived. Because there will always be something. When this pandemic is in the history books, and we're talking about how, remember back then when we had to go through that, there will be something else happening in that day. Maybe not a nationwide or worldwide pandemic, but there will be something going on. There's always things coming down the pipe that are looking to try to steal our joy in our life, looking to try to steal our gratitude and our thankfulness in our life. So it's not about whether or not we 
have things going on or, or if everything in our life is perfect before we can be thankful. It's about being able to be thankful in spite of our circumstances sometimes. We can be thankful sometimes for our circumstances, but sometimes we're thankful in spite of them because we give thanks in all things, not for all things. It's a very, very important word in that scripture that we have to make sure that we catch. And if you have nothing else that you feel like you can be thankful for in this life or in your life right now, I would tell you that there's one thing that can never, ever change that we can always fix our thankfulness on, our gratefulness on, and it is out of Hebrews 12, verses 28 to 29, the writer of Hebrews, he wrote, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Now, we could stop right there. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that's, talk, that's not talking about the kingdom of the United States. That's not talking about the kingdoms over in Europe or anywhere else in this world. This is talking about a kingdom that is outside of this world. And since we, if we are followers of Jesus, we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. It can never be, it can never lose. It can never take a hit. It can never be overthrown. And since we are receiving that kingdom, let us be thankful. See, part of our problem as Christians is we get too fixated on this life, on this kingdom, this political climate, this economy, all the stuff that goes on in this life, and it can cause us to be depressed and I'm not saying that stuff's not real, but when our focus is on that, yeah, you, we're gonna be like this all the time. It's gonna depend on the 24-hour news cycle, right? But if our eyes are fixed on this kingdom that can't be shaken, everything's different. It doesn't change that we're, we get frustrated in this world. But our faith and our hope is not in this world. The Bible tells us that we are in this world, but we're not of it. That we are part of a totally different kingdom. And we as Christians, it's not bad for us to think about that. It's not bad for us to fix our eyes on that and to think, you know what, no matter what happens here, it can't steal my joy because my time here is 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And then from then on, I'm in glory. I'm in a totally different scenario where there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more politics. There'll be no more money. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And since we are part of that, since we are receiving that, we can be thankful. And he goes on to say, so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us worship God. Let us stand in awe of our God, because he is a consuming fire. When you think about what God has done for you and for me, how can we not stand in awe of him? knowing who we are, knowing what he did for us. The creator of the universe, this ever-expanding universe, saw little old us and said, I'm gonna make a way for them. Said it didn't wait till we were good enough. He says, while we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love. Said, I'm not staying up here while they suffer. I'm going down to make a way for them. We stand in awe of who he is and all that he is. And our understanding of him will help us with our gratitude. See, the first thing we have to do is remember that everything God asks us to do is for two main purposes. Everything that he asks us to do. First and foremost, it is for his glory. Everything about our life, everything he asks us to do, everything down to the very air you breathe is all about his glory, first and foremost. And the second thing is that it's for our good. He is for our good. That's a good thing. We serve a good God. But even if it wasn't, it's all for his glory. He's still worth it. But 
He also does it for our good as well. So we say, well, why do we give him thanks? Well, because it glorifies him. You see, this life isn't about you. <clears throat> it's not about you first. You know, the society, the world, everybody outside of the faith, the Christian faith would say that this life is about you, that you're the center of your world and everything else is around you is about how it functions within your world, right? The Bible tells us that we are not the center of our world, that actually the center of our world is Jesus, that he is the center of our world. And not only that, we're not even the next ring out because the next ring out is about others. The Bible tells us that we should consider others above ourselves. So we're not even in the top two. We're third. We're just before the animals. <laughs> and I've been in enough houses to know some of us are even after the dog. So they run the show. <laughs> but we are not the center of our world. Our life is about glorifying the center of that world, which is Jesus. And since, but he's so good that we also get to reap benefits from glorifying him because he is a good father. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible that I know many of you know as well is Romans 8, 28. And this is, the, this is the most reassuring verse in all the Bible because no matter what happens to me, I am assured through this that it says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not, he doesn't work for the good for all mankind. He works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I can know and I can rest in knowing that if I genuinely love my God, and the only one who really knows if I love God is me. And if I know that I love him, I can know that he's working the good in my situation. Now, it doesn't mean the good is gonna be the good I want today or tomorrow. It doesn't mean it's always gonna turn out exactly like I want it to be, but I know that if I trust him, it's gonna be for my good. You know, I might want, my good might be that I want him to deposit a bunch of money in my bank account. His good might be that I'm just gonna walk with you through this as we pay your debt off together, right? So it's not always what I, my interpretation of the good, but it is always good because my Bible promises me that it is and I know the character of my God that he's always gonna work out the good. So how is being thankful good for me then? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, a very, uh, and also a very famous verse, in uh, verses four to seven, look what he says here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In other words, be thankful in the Lord always. Have gratitude in the Lord always. I will say it again, be grateful, have gratitude. Rejoice in the Lord always. So he's telling us here to be thankful. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, which is fine, because none of us struggle with that, right? Uh, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, everybody say, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then here's what God tells us he will do. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we, we know this verse, right? We quote it, every, people love it, you see it on bumper stickers, you might have it on a, something that you crochet in your house, it's somewhere that you probably see it sometimes, right? And we love it because we want that peace of God. You know, there's nothing in this world like the peace of God, nothing. The peace of God is better than a, a peaceful situation. The peace of God in a tumultuous situation is better than just without God being in a normal, peaceful situation, right? Because there's nothing like it, because the peace of God is something that comes inside of us that we can't really explain. In fact, the Bible tells us 
It goes against our understanding. You can't explain it. You can't write out a formula to figure out how to get it, when it but when you have it, you know it. It's how somebody that just lost a loved one can have this peace in their heart because they know that God's come in and given them a peace that they can't have on their own. That's the peace that we all desperately want, right? And so Paul's telling us here, if we will, if we have anxiety and fear and worry in our life and we present our request to God, that he will guard our hearts. Well, first of all, he says, present, it, present your petitions with thanksgiving. That's something we miss a lot. We'd rather just come to God and say, God, this is what's happening. I need you to take care of this and this and this. And we'll pull out the scroll and give them the list, right? But he says very clearly that it is meant to be accompanied with thanksgiving because that checks our heart. But what I really love about this, it says the peace of God will guard your heart. That word guard there in the Greek is the word phureo, okay? And that word is not just a haphazard guard like I'll stand there and watch over you. That is an actual military word. It's a militant term that basically means that you're gonna stand an army in front of a fortress and make sure the enemy cannot penetrate. Mm. Now, let's, let's personalize that. What does that mean that God's gonna put a military army in front of a for my fortress of my heart so the enemy cannot penetrate? That's powerful. That is some beautiful, beautiful terminology that we're seeing in the word of God here that Paul's basically telling us you got anxiety, you got worry, you got fears, you got a laundry list for God, go ahead and present it to him. But do it with thanksgiving, with a thankful, grateful heart, and here's what he's gonna do for you. He's gonna put his military in front of your heart to guard that peace so that the enemy of your soul, who loves nothing more than to take your peace, when he comes, he's gonna have to answer to the army of God. That's beautiful. That's beautiful that God would do that for us, and it all hinges on thanksgiving. It hinges on gratitude that hinges on our approach to our God. Now listen, I'm not one for trying to break down the Bible into formulas and say, well, if you'll do this and this and this, God will do this and this, because if we do that, if we're not careful and it's not done with the right heart, it becomes a religious ritual that we do, and we do these things expecting God to do his thing, but there's something about this passage in Philippians 4 that shows us that it's like God's trying to tell us. It's like, listen, church, it, I, know you're gonna have, I know you have anxiety, I know you worry about things, I know that the world is spinning faster and faster all the time. There's a thousand things trying to get at your money and your attention and your time and your, your morals and everything. I get it. Bring your petitions. Bring them. But do it with thanksgiving. Come to me with a heart of thanksgiving, thanking me in all things, not for all things. And I will, it w I will send my army to guard your heart. I, it, notice here he didn't say like, you do this and I'll make sure I fix all your situations. Okay, so it's not about thanking him because if I thank him enough that he'll be inclined to make sure he fixes this for me. That's not what it says. It says you thank him, you have this heart of thankfulness and gratitude towards him, then he will guard your heart with peace. Might still be in the same exact situation you were in before you started praying. But he's gonna give you a peace that, that tells me that I know I can trust my God. That, that he's gonna work out the good in this situation. And I may not even see what that good is right now. I may not see it for a year or five years or whatever, but it, but there's a trust that I have that I can know that I can lean on him and it gives me a peace knowing that no matter what my situation is, I can trust my God. I can trust my God. He is worthy of my trust. And we all know how it is to come before God and just beg him to relieve us of this situation, you know? And, and God's good and he hears us. But it's almost like we'll come to him and just expect that, that uh, eventually he'll just wash over us 
with this feeling almost like when your pain meds kick in, you know, and everything just kind of goes warm and feels good. And God's gonna do that for us if I just come and I, and I petition him. But God's saying, I want you to come with, your heart matters to God when we come to him. It matters. He's, he's not wanting to be just this genie in a bottle that we just come and rub the genie and rub the Bible and expect him to pop out and do his thing. He wants our hearts. You'll see it all through the Bible. He wants our heart. So this thankfulness is not just a token, yeah, by the way, God, I thank you for this and this and this. Now, here's my list. He's talking about our hearts. I want you to understand that I want your heart. I want you to, I want you to come to me knowing that no matter what situation you're in, I'm good, I'm faithful, I'm pure, I'm holy, and I deserve your worship and your honor and your love and your respect. That's what he wants from us. Basically, what Paul's telling us in this passage is that thankfulness is the cure to anxiety. Having a heart of thankfulness will, will go a long way into curing the anxiety in our life because he will put a guard around your heart that's not from you, it's from him. And it's powerful. Because peace is not the absence of turmoil and trials. It's really the military of God standing at your heart. That's what real peace is. And it's beautiful when he does it. But you know, it takes a level of maturity to get to this place where we can thank him in the midst of situations that are less than pleasant in our life, right? It takes a level of maturity. When we're younger in our faith, I, I, you might have experienced this too, I know I did. When I was younger in my faith, I felt like God had, I, I, could, I, could, not even, I could butcher the word sometimes and God would still bless me. <laughs> He'd still answer my prayers. He was, it was like he just, it's almost like when you're young in the faith, God knows. But as we grow into levels of maturity, there's also an expectation on us. When we, when we know his word, to live out his word in our life and not just make assumptions based on even church culture, but to really live out the word of God based on what it says between the covers of this book, not even what some preacher says. That's what he wants from us. And so our natural approach to thankfulness in our life is to really give thanks for the good things, right? You know, it's easy to thank God for the good things in our life. It's easy to thank him for the things that we like that are pleasant, you know, but it's another thing to thank him in the midst of situations that are less than pleasant. You know, it's easy to thank God for your marriage. If your marriage is good and your wife loves you and you're good to each other and everything's going well, it's another thing to thank God in the midst of a marriage where it's tumultuous and you're not sure if it's gonna make it and, and there, there's infidelity and things like that, right? It's one thing to thank God for your job when you're compensated well and you're, and you're taken care of and you're appreciated at your job and they let you know that. It's another thing to thank God in the midst of having a job where you're underpaid and not appreciated and getting passed over for promotions that you deserve. That's a level of maturity that it takes to do that. But here's the thing, that's, this is what I'm talking about today, church, when we can be thankful to God in the midst of the situations we would not want. There is a power that comes from on high to bring us through those situations. And I, even as Christians, so oftentimes we forget about that. Our, our, our whole pursuit is just on God fixing the situation. Like, God, I don't wanna have thankfulness in the midst of it. I want you to fix it. I want you to get rid of my boss because he's no good. And God's saying, no, I put you there for a reason. Be a light, be salt. You know, I'll, I'll help you. I've got, my spirit's really cool and he's really awesome and really powerful. I'll help you, but you gotta surrender to him. And we just wanna say, God, just fix it. You know, what's your prayer request? We just give him the prayer requests. List them off, you know, all the things I need. When, we're, when really God's saying, I, I want your heart. I want your heart and I'll help you through those situations. And sometimes 
I mean, you guys, if you're, if you're old enough to know, there's times you prayed stuff, and later you look back and you thank God he didn't answer your prayer, right? Because there's so many times we pray for something in the heat of the moment, and when you look back, you realize, man, thank you, God, you didn't answer that. Whoo, that was rough, right? But then we're susceptible to doing it again. But we have to grow in that area of maturity to where we understand that God knows quite a bit more than we do. Um, we should not just feel proud in our relationship with God when we can thank him and live a life of gratitude when we thank him for the things that he's done that are good, that we like. That's just being polite. You know, society knows that. Society has enough manners to be thankful when things are good, you know? We can't, we can't live just like that where we're just thankful for the things in our life that, we, that are exciting and good. I mean, our, our, what we do when, we're, when you're a parent, okay? So you have, you have your kids. Your kid goes over to a friend's house for a sleepover, right? And the first time they go, you sit down with your kid and you say, listen, now when you go over to your friend's house, if his mom gives you a candy bar, you say thank you, right? You, you're polite. If, if you're going over there for dinner and they give you peas, you say thank you. I, I don't care if you don't like them, you say thank you. We teach our kids manners about things that, that matter in life, right? Well, sometimes in, in our faith, that's all we're doing too is sometimes we're just spiritually polite. When in reality, we need to be thankful to God in every minute of every day, in every scenario we find ourselves in because he really is that good, he really is that faithful, he really is that deserving of our grateful attitude in our life. That's how we are called to live in this life. He has to, we, we need God to help us to be able to do this because here's the thing. It, since it is his will that we are thankful, as I read my text verse, anything that is the will of God is also on the enemy's hit list, okay? Because the enemy knows anything that's the will of God, if we are empowered to live out God's will in our life, that that will work, that'll be devastating to the kingdom of our enemy. So anything that's his will is on the hit list of the enemy for you. So if it's God's will that you would be thankful, wouldn't you think that the enemy's gonna come against that in your life and try to steal your thankfulness? He's absolutely going to do that. It's, on, it's high on his hit list. So what I wanna do today, I wanna give you a few things that, that steal our thankfulness, okay? I wanna give you something from our past, our present, and our future that I think will encourage you and you can take with you and it's kinda practical things. But these, there's power in our life when we are operating in God's will for us when it comes to this aspect of our life. So what the enemy would wanna do, he would wanna steal your thankfulness from your past by getting you to fixate on your mistakes. To get you to fixate on the mistakes you've made in the past. Regrets from your past will steal your thankfulness in your life. Now we'll start, let me uh, do a little exercise here. So anyone in this room that has never made a mistake that you, would, you wouldn't care if everyone in this room knew about it. And I'm not talking about like, you know, that you had a mullet back in the 90s, okay? Or that you were a woman that wore shoulder pads, okay? We're not talking about those kind of, not fashion mistakes, all right? Because we'd all have to <laughs> raise our hands for those. I'm talking about mistakes that really had a negative effect on your life or, or mistakes that you know in, the, in your faith were big mistakes. So anybody that's never made a mistake like that, you wouldn't care if everyone in here knew all the mistakes you made, just raise your hand. Okay, everybody look around, see all the hands that are raised? Not a single hand. And if we were in a room, if we were in a, an arena, 
that held 50,000 people and it was packed to the rafters would be the same exact outcome as what we have in here today. You know why? Because nobody but nobody but nobody but nobody has not made mistakes that they can regret from their past, right? Not even, not even in our thought life, right? I asked the first service, I said, so if there was a monitor over your head that showed every thought you had this week, you couldn't turn it off. This building would be empty today. And I would be at home, right? None of us are living a life where we don't, have, where we don't make mistakes or where we couldn't have regrets, right? But, there, but for some reason, there's certain mistakes or there's certain aspects of life where we can fixate on it and it can actually affect our ability to live a life of thankfulness. We can, it can affect our ability to have gratitude in our life because we are fixating on mistakes of the past. And when we do that, church, what we're doing, and, and I know a lot of us deal with this. Let me just say this. There's no place in the life of a Christian for regret. Okay? Not saying that we don't repent. Not saying we don't uh, wish we hadn't done something in the past. But regret is actually the dynamic where that thing in the past is still holding on to you. And it's got you in chains. And you're, you're constantly chained to it as you're trying to move forward. It's holding on and keeping you back. That's what regret is. And it's actually affecting your today if you're regretting. There's no place in the life of a Christian for regret. No place at all. The Bible is very clear. You know, many denominations in our faith, right? And they disagree on all kinds of stuff. One thing that you see across the board in every mainstream Christian denomination that they agree on is the forgiveness of God based on the blood of Jesus Christ washing over our sins as we confess our sins to him, all right? So it is washed clean, it is gone, there's nothing we can do. And when we regret, when we live with regret, not only it steals our thankfulness, but what we're doing is we are belittling the work of the cross. We're belittling it. Because Jesus says it's enough. But you're saying it's not enough. Because I have to keep thinking about it. And I have to keep letting it pull me back there. And you know what, it might not even be you, it might be somebody in your life that continually reminds you of that mistake. And they're being used by the enemy because God would never, ever, ever bring that back up. The Bible tells us that he chooses not to remember our mistakes. Once they're forgiven, they're gone. We are washed clean, clean, white as snow, is what we're, is what we're told. So when we live with regret, we are belittling the work that Jesus did on the cross and we're making a mockery of really what he did for us. And I think we need to understand that so that we can purpose in our heart not to allow that to keep us back because it not only belittles his work, it does steal our thankfulness and our gratitude in our life. And you know what? You don't have to look any further than the Apostle Paul to see what we, our approach should be in our life because nobody here has made more mistakes than the Apostle Paul. He persecuted Christians, he was complicit in all kinds of Christians dying, he hated Christians, hated the way they called it before we were called Christians, and yet God still chose to use him. And look what he says in Philippians 3. Verses 13 and 14, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Everyone say, forgetting what is behind. And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I am forgetting the past. He is saying, I am choosing not to remember it. I am neglecting the past, is what that word actually means, to neglect. Now, we're not supposed to neglect our current duties, our relationships, our, our bills. We're not supposed to neglect that stuff, but if there's anything you can neglect in life, scripturally, it's the past. 
And Paul says, I choose not to remember it because I am pressing on forward. You can't press on forward if you're constantly looking back. You know, Pastor Bone used to say it all the time that there's a reason the windshield in the car is huge and the rearview mirror is this little tiny thing. Because we were supposed to spend the overwhelming majority of our time looking forward, not back. Because that's what God wants for us. And if we are always in the rearview mirror, we are, we're not looking in the rearview mirror to look at all of our successes usually. It's usually the regrets. And that takes our thankfulness in our life and just destroys it for all intents and purposes. The people who are the most free from their past are not the people who've made the fewest mistakes. It's not the ones that have only messed up a little bit. It's not the ones that didn't do the big stuff that you could, you know, that you could Google and find what the, some of their mistakes. Right? Those aren't the ones that are the most free. It's the ones who have understood what the cross really does for us. Because it doesn't matter if you, Jesus said, it doesn't matter if you had a thought about lust or if you actually slept with another person. According to the scripture, it's the same thing. So in my mind, that might be a small thing because it wasn't no big deal because nobody knows about it except me. But in God's eyes, it's, he doesn't distinguish all of that. So it's not who's made the fewest mistakes that's the most free, it's the ones who have understood the cross and the power of the cross and allowing the power of the cross to set us free so that we can be thankful. That's why we have such a reason to be thankful in our life is because of what he did for us. All right, so the thief from our present that can keep us from being thankful is comparison. Nothing will steal gratitude faster in your life than comparing yourself with those who have more than you. Now this is not a very spiritual application here to be comparing, but it's funny because it's something every one of us does. In fact, I would go as far as to say in the church, comparison is an epidemic. It's the silent killer, because we don't talk about it much, but comparison is actually a very aggressive spirit because it really, it, it really feeds off of greed and envy and jealousy. And comparison is a big, big deal that will steal your gratitude. I, I've said it many times, but I often wonder what I would own if I didn't know what you own. My 60-inch TV was beautiful until I saw your 80-inch. My 10-year-old van that gets me to work fine every day was wonderful until I got in your brand new one and smelled the new car smell. Right? Comparison is horrible. And it does nothing but steal our gratitude in our life. Because, you know, we don't compare ourselves to people that we think have less than us. We're always comparing ourselves to people that we think have more than us. And it is the silent killer in the church. And you know, we're in the age where uh, social media has probably exasperated it even more, right? I mean, that, that's basically what it is. It's, it's the comparison uh, portrait for everybody. Like I get to see the stuff you want me to see and you get, to stuff, you get to see the stuff I want you to see and everybody always puts their best foot forward on Facebook and on all the social medias, Instagram and all of them, right? And so all we see is everybody's, you know, nobody, I don't post a picture of my 11 year old van on Facebook and say like, hey, look at my van, everybody. What we do is when we get the brand new one, it's still got the sticker on it. That's when we take the picture, right? So then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, they got a new van. That's cool. And so all we see is everybody's best stuff on social media, and so we start comparing ourselves, and what does it do? It immediately, it takes your gratitude. It takes your thankfulness. It just steals it, and it's so easy. It's like you're just giving it up. I'm giving you my thankfulness because I'm because I'm watching and envying what somebody else has. 
You know, even relationships. Every relationship you see on, online is perfect. Every marriage on Facebook is perfect. They've always been perfect. I'm like, that's crazy. I know husbands and wives fight, but I've never seen one posted on Facebook. I've never seen a guy post, hey, just had a fight with my wife tonight, hashtag sleeping on the couch. <laughs> Nobody does that. <laughs> I'll do it next time me and Joy have one. But that's what social media does too. It exasperates it, right? I'm not saying social media is bad, but we have to be very, very careful to not let it steal our gratitude in our life. There's a spiritual application here. And this, this is the thing, church. Jesus dealt with comparison. He didn't appease it, okay? So let me set this up. So uh, he gets, uh, he's raised from the dead. Jesus is back and he shows himself to his disciples. He reinstates Peter. If you know the story, Peter denied him three times while Jesus was being crucified. So when Jesus reinstates him, he asks him three times, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, uh, you're gonna eventually be taken where you don't wanna go, is what Jesus tells him. He's telling him how he's going to die. He's basically saying, you're gonna be martyred because of your faith in me. And it's so interesting when you read this because Peter's response to that, after being told by Jesus, hey, you're gonna die, you're gonna die a martyr's death. This is his immediate response to him. John 21 and verse 21. It says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He's talking about John, the apostle John. So Peter's walking with Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, basically, you're gonna be crucified one, or you're gonna be martyred one day for me. And Peter, instead of saying like, oh, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. Wait a minute, what about him? What about John? I mean, I, I've been friends with you longer than John has, right? And look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? <laughs> you must follow me. So Jesus wasn't having any of that. Like, don't be comparing yourself to John. What I'm asking you to do is for you. What I've given you is for you. And Peter's like, well, Jesus, John has a better iPhone than I do. His sandals are newer. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about John. What you need to know is you need to follow me. Everything you have is from me. Every blessing you have is from me. It's all come from my hand. So whatever I choose to bless you with, I want you to be excited about that and thankful and grateful for what I've given you. Don't compare yourself to the guy around the corner. It's about, this is about you and me, not you, me, and John. We're not, this isn't a, a triangle, this is a two. This is you and me. He says, follow me. In church, that's what he would say to every one of us. Don't compare yourself, follow me. What he has blessed you with is more than you deserve, I promise. I promise you, <laughs> every single one of us, what he has blessed us with is more than we deserve. He says, follow me. And thankfulness, it will help breed that contentment in our life that God wants to bring. Uh, Philippians 4, 12. The Apostle Paul said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's saying here, contentment is a secret. It's not out in broad daylight for everybody to get. Not everybody finds it, but you can find it. Paul had to learn it. We can learn the secret of contentment. And we have to ask or beg God for perspective in that so that we can be content too. All right, third and finally, and I'll finish up. 
Our, our uh, thankfulness for the future can even be stolen through lost hope. Some of you have lost hope in your life and it's made being thankful impossible. If you don't have hope, it's very, very hard to be thankful. And you might think, well, I've had hope, but I've lost it. Maybe you were scared to hope. I came here to tell you today that there is freedom in Jesus to hope. There's freedom in him even for us to hope, that we do not have to be afraid to hope. We are actually called to be hopeful, which again, if, if it's something we're called to do, if it's the will of God, it's on the enemy's hit, hit list. So the enemy wants to steal your hope. That's what he does. We need to recognize that, that sometimes the reason we're not hopeful is because we've allowed the enemy to take it from us. But God has called us to hope, and that's what he wants for each and every one of us, and, and because of that, we have to hold on to it tightly. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to this hope. That means there's a part for us to play if we gotta hold on to it. You know, it's not like holding on to a glove. Once you put a glove on, you almost don't have to hold on to it, it kinda holds on to you, right? This is the holding that you would have to do if you have a the, a chain to a leash of a Doberman that's just saw a rabbit. I mean, you're holding on tight or you're going for a ride. This is how we're to hold on to the hope that God has given us. He's given us hope. It's up to us to hold on to it. It's unswervingly because he's faithful. That's what gives us the ability to be hopeful is because we know that our God is faithful. And as a believer, a lot, oftentimes what causes us to lose our hope is when we find ourselves in a situation that we don't understand what God's doing. And I, I know I, I, I don't think I've talked about this recently, but I do talk about it a lot because I, I feel like that is such a perspective that if we as followers of Jesus can get, that it will change our life, that we don't have to understand everything God is doing in our life. We don't have to understand. We can't boil the Bible down to a few little principles and think that everything just always lines up with exactly how I've interpreted what I see in here. That everybody always, ha everything has to work out exactly the way I have interpreted my perspective of the word of God. And I'm not saying we take it and we twist it and we do other things with it. I'm not saying that at all. This is the inerrant word of God and it is flawless, okay? 100%. But you know what? You could take a scripture out of context and say, oh, this is God. You know, it's, it, God God's got to heal my, my mom of cancer because he's our healer and he has to do it. So if he doesn't do it, then something's wrong. When that's not necessarily what's going to happen. Your, your mom's getting her ultimate healing once she goes to heaven. So that's, that's just as much healing as if he heals her on this earth. So we can't just assume we always understand everything, and if, we, if we're okay with not understanding everything, it's very hard for our hope to be taken because I know I can trust my God no matter whether he heals my mom or not because I know eventually she's getting it anyway. So the trust that we have for our God goes to another level when we understand that we don't have to understand everything that's going on. But I, I, I'm a pretty pragmatic guy, so I like to have understanding. I, I, I joke about it, me and Joy, half the fights we've had in our marriage are because I wanna understand what she's talking about and she thinks I'm grilling her. When really, I just wanna understand. And I can approach my faith that way too, like, okay, God, I, you know, I'll do whatever, but I really need to understand. Sometimes God says, well, you're not going to. I just need you to trust me. I need you to know that I'm good and that I'm faithful and you can trust me even if it makes absolutely no sense to you. Peter, get out and walk on the water. What if Peter said, well, well but you know, I, I weigh 130 pounds and the water can't hold me. And Jesus is like, just get out and walk. Just do it. I'll take care of it, right? But we want to understand. But you're not always going to understand. 
What he wants us to do is to trust him. And it, it is very, very difficult for our hope to be taken when it's like that. Because there's always, there's gonna be times where we're not gonna, it doesn't make sense. There's times that it feels like God's right there ready to answer your prayer immediately. The next time it feels like God's on vacation. Where you at, God? Forget about me over here. And you're not gonna always understand it. But we need to be able to have the mind of David when he wrote the 23rd Psalm about the Lord being his shepherd. When he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Even though, to be able to say, even though, God, even though this is not what I want, I will fear no evil because I know you're with me. Sometimes it's on the mountaintop, sometimes it's in the valley of the shadow of death. And we memorialize David because he said this, we have the same spirit of God. We can do the same thing. I, if that spirit of God is in me, I can say, even though I walk through all kinds of junk that I don't want, I will fear no evil. I will not lose my hope. I will trust my God. I know who you are, and I know you're good, and I know you're faithful, and I will continue to trust you. Or to have the mind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, where the king said, you will bow down to me, or you are gonna go in that furnace. And they said, oh king, we will not bow down to you. And if you throw us in that furnace, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't. So we have faith for everything that God can do, but we say, even if he doesn't do what I want him to do, I will not lose my hope. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Even though things may not go the way I want them to go, sometimes they will, and for those, it's gonna be easy to be gracious and have gratitude and thankfulness, and I'll, I love those times, but I'm gonna be grateful and thankful when I go into the fiery furnace. And when I'm walking through that valley that I'm scared to death, I'm not gonna fear evil because I know my God. It takes a level of maturity for us to get there, but he's worthy of it. That's right, he's worthy of praise. Thank you, Lord. Stand with me, please, and I'll, uh, I'll close us out. I wanna pray for us today. We do not lack being followers of Jesus. We do not lack, church. He's not short or slow in fulfilling his promises in our life. Let's pray that he would give us his perspective so that we can live lives of gratefulness and gratitude and thanksgiving, that we would live a lifestyle of thankfulness, not just the fourth week of November. But you cannot be thankful if you do not know your God, if you don't know who he is. If your God is boiled down to the genie that can do things for you, you'll never sustain thankfulness in your life. But if you know him for who he really is and how good he really is and how wonderful he really is, it's hard to steal that thankfulness. So I wanna pray for you today. If you wanna come to the altar, you are welcome to do that. If you wanna spend some time here praying. But I'm gonna pray for all of us. And if you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm not even a Christian. Not even sure why I'm here. Maybe you're here from out of town. You walked in here, you don't even know why you're here. Well, if I could be so bold, I'm gonna say we prayed you in here because we pray all the time that God would bring people in this place that don't know him because we don't wanna be some Christian club. We believe that the gift that all of us as Christians have received is for everybody who will receive it. So if you're here today and you don't know him, I would encourage you not to leave today without giving your life to him. And I'm not gonna lead you in some token prayer either. I'm not saying that's a horrible thing, but I believe to really 
give your life to Jesus is about doing exactly that. It's about giving him your life. It's about understanding you need a savior, but you also need a Lord. And that's what he wants to be in your life. So if you're here today and you don't know him, I'm gonna be right up front here afterwards. You come talk to me. I'd love to spend time with you and talk you through what that looks like to live a life of surrender to Jesus. And you could be a follower of his today too. But for the rest of us, let's pray today that God would help us to live lives of thankfulness. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. Lord, we thank you for your word that is truth, that is life. It is a wellspring of life that never ends. It never runs dry. God, let it be that for each and every one of us. Everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord. Awaken our souls to see you. Stir us up, Lord. God, where we have been fickle, where we have been half-hearted in our thankfulness towards you, God, we repent. We ask you, Lord, to help us to see you for who you really are. Lord, that we would not just give away our thankfulness so easily. And that when the enemy would come to steal it, Lord, that we would be able to resist him with your help, with your military in front of our heart, guarding our peace. Help us to pursue lives of thankfulness. Lord, because we know that's the power of God in us, and we also know that it will help expand your kingdom because we know others will see it too. And it will draw people to you. Help us to be your salt and your light. Thank you for it today, Lord. You are good and you are deserving of our worship and of our lives. We give them to you today, Lord. We love you and we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord.